Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley Show here on the Dr. Christopher Hall segment. I'm excited to welcome the program, Dr. Christopher Hall. Dr. Hall, how are you? Thank you for your service. Again, give us a quick update with uh, the cases. You're in the emergency room and dealing with COVID-19 and everything. No problem. Great. I'm doing great, Neil. Again, you know, like I said we're very busy and uh, kind of what the rest of the, the stops experience. I mean, we're short on ICU beds, uh, taking care of these um, very sick corona patients, but we're doing all the right things and um, uh, staying safe. But I'm um, very excited about the guests that we have on today. Well, I, I tell you what, he's an amazing guy. I'm a huge fan of In Living Color for so many years. Go ahead and introduce our guest. But no problem. You know, it's my pleasure to um, introduce. Let's make it fast. Actor, comedian, and a very inspirational individual with a wonderful story, Mr. Tommy Davidson. Welcome to the show, Tommy. Thank you guys for having me. Absolutely, Tommy. How are you, how are you holding up with the pandemic? How's life I'm doing changing? Pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Um, I'm more concerned about others than I am myself during this time. You know, if, 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 I'm, if I'm going through, you know, having to be uh, a minimalist, then the people that don't have anything, what does that mean for them? You know, yeah. I've been out. I've been out and around the country doing small shows here and there, and um, I don't like what I see. I don't like what I see in the people. Yeah, in their attitude, in their emotional state. I don't like what I'm seeing. This is affecting our. This is affecting the hearts of us. Yes, and that's where we all live. Absolutely. All right, Dr. Hall, first question for, t for Tommy. And I believe that your story is really, I was looking at it uh, with the book and everything, just looking at the story. And I'm like, Tommy, I never knew this interviewing you this so many times about your story. So this is great. So Chris, go ahead. He's Black Panther 2? <laughs> no, no. No, we're talking about your book. Go ahead. Chris. Black Panther. Yeah. Are you Black Panther? No. no. <laughs> Are you? Uh, no. Hey. No. No problem, no problem at all. I mean, fascinating story. You know, uh, so Tommy, tell us a little bit about, I mean, kind of where you grew up and just kind of beginning of, beginning of your childhood and uh, tell us a little bit about that. I, um, I grew up in Fort Collins, Colorado, and um, I wanted, uh, and, and Laramie and Casper, Wyoming. Those are the formative years that all, and all I knew, you know, if anything before that, I didn't know, you know? So I grew up there. And the way I got there is I was abandoned by my birth mother. Um, and the, my mom that raised me, and that is my mom, found me random um, by just lifting a tire off of, of a pile of trash and saw my foot. Oh my gosh. And she went off of, of an impulse that told her, you need to look under this tire. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so from there, we moved to Washington, D.C. And that's when, you know, the crash happened as a kid. I'm five years old. I'm the most beautiful child, perfect. You know, I grew up on farms and riding horses at five, you know. I mean, mountains and streams and a family that loved me to death. Didn't know anything about color. You know what I mean? All I thought about us as five-year-old was that I was a brown one because yeah. I grew up around animals. And I see a kitten, a cat would have kittens. Cat could be a white cat, but I have a brown kitten, a black kitten, a speckled kitten, an orange kitten, you know? So I thought whatever we were, 
I was a brown one. I've seen a brown cult. I've seen a brown cat. I've seen a brown dog. So I'm a brown one of us. Well, when I got to Washington, D.C., the, all, the, all the black kids beat our ass, man, every day, me, my brother, and my sister. And it was a confusing trip into D.C. because it was during the riots and there was tear gas and tanks and, you know, fires and stuff. So I didn't even understand what was going on. And then on top of that, when we settled in, all the kids were beating us up every day. Wow. And they were calling my brother and my sister white cracker. And they were calling me white cracker lover. So I went to my mom and I was like, you know, why do they keep saying that I'm a white cracker lover when I love graham crackers? You know, I was five. Wow. And that's what she explained. That's what people, your color call people our color when they don't like them. I was like, what do you mean? You know, uh, what color am I? He said, you're black. I said, I'm not black, I'm brown. Like in the crayons, I learned brown. Right. And you guys are peach. She said, I know, those are real colors, but we call each other other colors. So we call you black and you call us white. And I was like, that's stupid, right? And I'm confused. I and mean, it got even more confusing when we moved to the suburbs of Maryland because we, things were becoming really hard to be there. So that's the first time I heard the word nigger. And I was chased almost practically every day by grown men and barely got in my house. Like I was scared for my life, you know? We'd be, me and my sister be riding our bike and all of a sudden a guy would in his truck and get out of his truck, kill that nigger. You know what I mean? And I was six. We were throwing stuff through a window. I mean, it never stopped. So finally I went to my mom and I was like, who are these niggers? We got to stay away from them. You know, they seem to be really bad people, you know? And that's what she told me. That's what people our color call you. I said, I thought they called us black. You call us black. You know what I mean? Yeah. She said, yeah, but we call you that too. I'm like, I'm like, oh my God. You know, and that broke, it really broke my heart. You know, I cried, cried, cried. Because I said, well, who am I then? Right. You know, like, I love you. You're my family. And, and they hate you. But they're brown, too. Yeah. Or black, too. You know what I mean? It's like, how do I figure it out? You know, so I, so I did figure it out pretty quick because we moved to an integrated neighborhood right, right on, the, on the D.C. line. And when the white guys came and chased me, the black guys came out and the white guys ran the other way. Oh been black ever since. Wow. Not and I had to find out what that really was too. We didn't understand that about you. I guess not, you didn't mention a lot in interviews or different things about that. Writing the book really kind of takes out really what you dealt with in race because you understood race in a different way and had to be educated in a way that's the wrong way to understand specifically how we there's such a racial divide at that time, which there's still a racial divide today. We all know that. But right. it, it had to have been hard because you, growing up in a different family because of being adopted, saw things differently, and you really didn't see color. And then you were forced into finally seeing color for the challenges. Yeah, and thusly, thusly, hold on. Thusly, there's more to the title of the book than meets the eye. It's coincidental that I end up on live, in living color, but it's called living in color 
See? Right, yeah. In living color, living yeah. in color. So what's the coincidence there? You see? Yeah, yeah. Living in color, and which is what I had to do. Right. And, and I'm going to let Dr. Hall have another question. I just wanted to do a quick follow-up from that. Uh, is that when you talk to other uh, – I used to always say African-American. Now it's black. When you talk to other – Could be any of them, yeah. You, you know, going through the process, and you share that story with others of color, how do they feel when they hear that? To understand, you know, you didn't see that as, as – you, you saw that differently from your family, how they loved you and how the world sees it. They, they feel exactly the same way white people react to it. Man, that's messed up. That's crazy that you had to go through that. You know, and, and you're right and we're wrong. But too bad, that's just the way things are. Both 50-50, balanced on each side, perfectly, whites and blacks feel the same way about me. Wow. Crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Nuts. It, because you would, think, you would think not. No. Yeah. But I got my own number system because I'm me. Right. Go ahead, Dr. Hall, next question, following up with that. Yeah, I mean, this is just an incredible story. And you, you know, Tommy, I can relate to a lot of things you're saying so far as, you know, uh, when I see sometimes children who are abandoned here, you know, as an emergency room doctor and kind of the way you were found, you know, behind the tire and uh, just. Uh, kind of abandoned, you know, with the uh, abrasions and scrapes and and then to reach to the height that you did. It's a very incredible story, very incredible story. You know, myself, I was in foster homes and boys' homes, juvenile halls from age four. And um, Jeez. it's just incredible. Uh, well, Tommy, let me ask you this. Okay. Having those experiences when you were young, I mean, you were, you were innocent, just uh, – and then we, we find, as, as we do as, as, as black men, you know, we, it, it, black people in general, awakening uh, one day, hey, wait a minute, people don't like me. Um, how does some of that motivate you to, to really be the best that you are and to um, uh, go to the heights that you went to? It didn't really happen for me until early in my adulthood, like 19 years old, you know. Uh, somewhere around 18 years old, but it happened really, but the quest that started that process happened when I was six. Cause when my mother told me that, yeah, you know, that I'm a nigga compared you know, with people who don't like me and we're white and you're black and all that stuff. It all of a sudden occurred to me, wait a second. What is, okay. Then what, what is black? Yeah. And what is white? Right. And why? the division, why all the confusion? So I started studying history when I was six. Mm -hmm. I, started just, I started looking at the history of mankind since I was six. So I had some, I had some, 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 some good uh, motivating factors. My, grand, my grandfather, he was a cowboy from Wyoming. And I'm playing with my little cowboys and Indians when I'm four years old. And he says, he gets down on the ground and looks at me. He goes, I hope the Indians are the heroes, right? They're the good guys. He said, the cowboys are the bad guys. He said, but I want you to know something, Tommy. All cowboys didn't kill Indians. But this is, but this is the Indians' home. Four years old. Wow. You know? 
Um, I used to go to a Chicano um, juvenile home that my mother taught at when I was four. And you, these boys would be fighting over me when I got there. When I got there, they were, you know, I get time with them. I get time with them. I, they had cuts and tattoos and whatever, but they, and none of them hardly spoke English. Right. So they called me Tomasito Negrito, you know? And they carry me on their shoulders all day. You know what I mean? It's like, so I had all this good, good information happening that pushed me into finding out why things were the way that they were, you know? And by the time I got into elementary school, you know, in first grade, they asked for the Pledge of Allegiance and I put up the Black Power Fist. And I got in trouble since the principal's office, my mother came to school and said, you know, I'm sorry about that, but that's all he knows about himself. Mm. Because after, when Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud came out, my mother said, that's who you are. Listen to that song. That's who you are. That's who you really are. So I, I got in class and put up the Black Power Fist, got in trouble, and she came in to my defense to the principal. And he said, he'll learn the national anthem. I mean, he'll learn the uh, Pledge of Allegiance. He's a smart kid. But at this point, he's in the first grade. This is his first day of school. That's all he knows about him. That's all he knows. So it's the juxtaposition of my education versus my real studies as a kid put together the man you see. Yeah. So, you know, things started coming into play. You know, how did we get here? Right. You know? And all that stuff. Mm. And another lesson was my dad, my grandfather used to watch football games with me, college football games during Thanksgiving. And we, he had tests, who comes from where, with the names on the back of the jersey. So if it's with a ski, it's Polish. <laughs> you know, I can identify, I can identify Irish names, Polish names, Italian names, uh, 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 Catholic, Christian names, you know, by country, you know, or by, 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 by ethnic country or religion. And that's something that he made me do, you know, Brown, Brown is what? Brown is that? Who's Brown? Brown, you know, who's, who, uh, 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 Swartz, his name is Swartz, where he's from, where, you know what I mean? So I already had this 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 Rolodex, you know, and 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 not to not to to go beyond the fact that Godspell, the play hair, you know, um, I never miss nothing. Mm -hmm. Demonstrations, marches, you know, union union rallies. I'm a kid. Yeah, seniors, wow. hanging out with, with hippies at communes. That's where I got Led Zeppelin, Iron Butterfly, the group Rush. You know, so it's all one thing. You know, when I say I'm Black Panther, I, I just might be. So that's that, and that's the story that the book's going to tell. And the, yeah, the book's going to tell that dimension and that arc is going to show how that arc is me, right. but it also is, 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 is my road, is my road to success. Yeah. Is, you know, no one's road to success isn't, you know, riddled with failures. That's really not. Or, 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 you know, barriers that you would need to overcome, both personal and outside external. So really the book is actually in, 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 in reality, an index. Yes. 
for people's life that they can if they can compare anything in there parenting relationships you know um uh, uh job right you know anything you know uh, uh, uh sexual abuse uh, uh violence uh crime drugs like it's all here so so all of those things i made it through but i left the account there like hansel and gretel you know yeah. this is a this is a box of breadcrumbs that's what it's for that's right makes sense all right dr hall next question wow very incredible living color and you know like you said i mean this this is this book is very applicable to what's going on today and um, now let's move a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about that uh, hit show, Living Blur. And you know, you were on there with a lot of people, Jim Carrey, Kenan Williams. Um, why do you think that show was so successful? Because we were funny, uh, yeah. You were. There's the best. I mean, yeah, I, still, I, still, I still do impersonations of you guys and yeah. different ones all the time. Yeah, we were funnier than anything around. Yeah, truly. And, and, and what made it different was, the cast wasn't one thing or the other. The cast was everything. It was black, white, Asian, everything. For the first time on TV, you saw what America really looks like. Now, if you watch TV in the late 60s or 50s or whatever, you think America either looks like, you know, Ozzy and Harriet or, or Amy's and Andy. It's not, that's not the way America really looks. You know, Ralph Cramden lived in New York City and was just a, was a, bus driver and lived in an apartment one bedroom apartment you know you don't see that portrayed now no about whites you see my perspective how it's different you know you don't see that now the the, the perception of a white family is a nice house picket fence two cars in a garage you know even if they're mixed they got that 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 dimension but there's plenty of people who grew up in um, Rhode Island, you know, in, in Boston, Baltimore, Maryland, you know, New York City, Long Island, that, that are just simple white folks yeah. living in one bedroom apartment that work for the Department of Power. Right. Wow. Incredible. Point, point, definitely one to make in general. That's exactly. Point I was getting at, so very interesting. And, and I think that the talent you just saw the talent that was there, Tommy, how they all branched out afterwards, right? And the mm -hmm. success of every one of them, in some sort of way, in that brand from from mm -hmm. that 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 show. Yeah. And do you think when you're part of it, it was going to be that big? Or you oh know? yeah, we know it. We I mean, take the X Men for example, right? They might not have liked each other when they first met, but they knew if they ever were a team, they they were going to turn some shit out. You know, and that's what Keenan did. He went and got the best of the best and put us all on one team and said, now go. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, it's like the U.S., you know, uh, 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 Olympic basketball team. It's like, who's yeah. going to beat you? The one with Jordan and uh, yeah. the team. That who's was going to Yeah. Who's going to beat them? So we knew that, but we didn't know if we were going to be able to get on the court. See, we didn't know if we were going to be able to ever even be on the court. Because we did the pilot set for six months, knowing if we were gonna even get that show picked up. But then it got picked up. 
So we were like, let's go. What made you want to write the book? You're busy still, you know, always to write a book's challenging, especially Mm -hmm. in the busy, busy time. What made you finally say, I'm going to write it? My sister called me and said, you never talk about mom. And I realized that there was a part of me that was ashamed of my mom. Mm. It was like a habit. It was an internalized part of me that didn't want people to know that she was white. I never wanted anybody to know that. And there was a reason for that. You know, when, when the black kids that I played with found out my family was white, they would start calling me like names and want to beat me up and be like, you, 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 ain't, you ain't really black. <laughs> right. You know, or they stopped talking to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or they would look at me as weird. You know what I mean? And then, you know, look at the other reaction when my sister, when my sister and brother's white friends found out that they had a black brother. Yeah. Or when this when or when the whole neighborhood found that out. Right. Or when the whole freaking Shakey's pizza parlor found that out. You dig it? Cause I would go places where all white people were. And I never really realized why they were looking at me the way they were. But it wasn't the majority of them. Mm-hmm. It was just a few would kind of look at me with this really, you know, just negative vibe. But that was a very few. In my, in my growing up, when I was in situations with all white people, um, the majority, and I'll say it, were, were really loving yeah. to me. But maybe that was the ones that I ran into. But I'm just telling you my experience. Exactly. You know? All right, Chris, uh, summarize Tommy, and then we'll find out where we can get the book and stuff. Chris, go ahead and summarize Tommy. Oh, well, no problem. I mean, and, and you know, Tommy, uh, your experience is very, very, very relevant and very important to that. And so there you have it. You know, we have an individual uh, growing up from a very, very humble background, really, found behind a tire, and was able to uh, take those life experiences to a higher level. Very inspirational. And now we have a wonderful book, Living in Color, that's out there today. So uh, very motivating, inspirational figure. I'm so happy that you came on the show today. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate the opportunity um, because it really means a lot to me to share my mom and yeah. to share my background with everybody because she was such a wonderful person and didn't see color. And uh, it's a, great a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of white people aren't portrayed that way. You know. And I never knew your story like that, Tommy. And thank you for sharing that story. I mean, that's the thing that's needed today, 2020, one of the challengingest times, coronavirus, race warfare again. And Yeah, it, it, it doesn't look like coronavirus is racist. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's an equal opportunity. Yeah. Virus. And we're going after each other instead of unifying. What would be that last word, Tommy, to say how we can unify? Especially how you're telling the story your family and everything and how that's, this is such an important time. By picking up where we left off, we, we left off at a place where we can accept each other. And then all of a sudden, um, over the last, I can, I, can, I can basically track it from the beginning of the, the elections for the new president. From that point, seeing 
to dig up the old racist bones and 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 and, and turn them into a, a Frankenstein monster that's walking around. And we had buried that thing, at least got it into, you know, we at least put that thing into uh, submission and, and worked really hard to live and love and, and, and to be together. So let's just pick up where we left off because we owe it to the Black Power Movement, we owe it to the Civil Rights Movement, we owe it to, to the, 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 the college students who got their heads bashed in at Kent State, we owe it to the kids that lost their lives in Vietnam. We owe it to these people to pick up where we left off now. Exactly. And Tommy, purchase your book any all finer bookstores, right? Amazon. Yeah, Amazon would be the best now that everything is down. So yeah. Amazon Barnes and Nobles. And so it makes it really simple. Just go to Amazon. And um, I love to read. And so I can't really believe I got a book. You know what I mean? It's so I'm like excited for you. I'm like excited, like, man, if I ever went into a store and I saw a book about someone yeah, like, yeah, I'd be like oh my God, you know what I mean? See, I'm used to always saying that, Tommy. So there's no finer bookstores, just Amazon. Oh, that's not good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, I have, they still are open, right? Somehow, some, and it depends on the area of the country. No, everything's, everything on this last pass is shut. In your area? Yeah, but, and, 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 and Barnes & Noble is one of them that isn't open at all that I know of. See, I, I wouldn't know that. Open. See, that's how much yeah. we know, you know? But they've been open here and there because I go to Houston. It was open and I went in. And I, yeah. But um, um, all in all, the easiest way to get it is that. Awesome. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Great to ch touch base. And I tell you, you're a great television interview. You, the whole thing, the radio thing in the early morning is not your thing, is it, Tommy? Um, yeah, yeah, I can get with it. It just depends on, you know, that takes a different kind of animal. You're, you are like the few, the proud, the morning DJ. I mean, it's just like, you know, there ain't too many people like you guys who, who they, they experience their whole day in sleep woke. You know, they, they got their eyes are like, <laughs> hey, Tommy, how's it going, man? I'm good, man. Yeah, yeah. Because they're neither sleep or awoke, you know? Yeah, we just keep going. Yeah, they just, hey, yeah, I got a baseball game to host tonight. And then um, I'll be up tomorrow at three o'clock um, to go uh, interview, um, you know, Kylie Pratt or something. You know what I mean? Exactly. You guys are the few and the proud. Yeah. So, see, so I like the whole fact of independent. I could do whatever I want, talk to anyone. But I've loved this whole pandemic to get better at television by watching. I watch the news all the time just to watch how great these interviews are. And it's terrible yeah. what's happening. But I'll give my props to CNN. At least CNN's telling the truth. Compared and, to a lot of yeah. other places, they're mm -hmm. really giving the straights of what's happened to the coronavirus. Let's not hide what's happening. Let's not hide what's happening in race. Let's make sure we talk about it so we have those conversations. If people don't know about them, yeah. that's it. So I appreciate it. And PBS News has done really well, too, because I didn't know that um, that um, Trump administration had, had took out um, like $8 billion out of the COVID fund and, and, and took them over to the trade war they're having with Hong Kong. Oh, geez. I didn't know that. I didn't either. So that's it. That's a lot of money. So breaking you got, news. People, you got people out of work and you take eight billion people yeah. eight billion bucks to an invisible place and not accountable for it. Yeah. What's going on? Because it's real. If you can Google it, it's right there. Exactly. Yeah. All right, Tommy. Thank you. Appreciate All it. All right. Thank you. All right, guys. That was the Dr. Christopher Hall show. Take care. We're back to the Neil Haley show, and I'm excited about this guest. When you talk about education, 
and you talk about an area of education, especially history, as we're seeing a real historical divide in our country in a way of what history should we teach? What history should we forget? This one we'll never forget because this one really did change and transform the country. So I'm excited to welcome the program, Michael McCarr, and he's uh, he created an app called Gettysburg, A Nation Divided. Michael, thanks for calling. How are you? Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, so let's talk about it. Are you one of those historical persons? You're, you're a historian that said, I'm going to try to go now to a new level to teach people. Let's hear more of that background. Well, kind of. I've been in, in uh, education and also in, in media for a long time, but I grew up, my father was a military historian. And so he was in the military and we would travel around and my mother would read civil war books as we went to different civil war battlefields. And so I had that experience of having to visualize what was happening on these battlefields that were just basically grass fields. And so as, as I started creating augmented reality where we could actually put the battle on the field, I, I knew that Gettysburg had to be the, the premier place that we, that we, uh, conquered the the issue with gettysburg is it's just so large the the battle took place over at least over 50 square miles and, and wow, there's the, yeah. the the national the national park is seven thousand acres so it, it's a pretty big challenge and and then and, and also the the well, there are about 160 It was a massive challenge, but really, really fun to dig into the story. And, and Absolutely. When you try to tell a story, is something as large and... It's a lot of work. And a- the students don't have any experience with, don't have any understanding of. They're not immersed in it. A lot of times history is taught as famous generals and dates and places and so that's what they remember and 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 a lot of people when you talk to them about one of their least favorite courses in school was history and they're like oh it bother me but history has the greatest stories i mean the incredible stories that happen but they just have to be told in a way that you can you can immerse yourself in it and and nothing is is more immersive than being able to have augmented reality bring that story to life right in front of you where you're standing in the middle of it and so, so your perspective on it changes dramatically because now you're a part of it versus standing off to the side watching. It's, it's, it's an amazing experience. Uh, the first time that I saw the app on the battlefield, we'd been testing it all over. I'm from Texas. It, it, it really draws you in in a way that I hadn't even expected having worked on it myself. It's quite, quite a difference. Yeah. It's something that, wow. And so the process, how long did it take to develop this? I started in, in September of 2017 and we finished, um, and published here just, uh, a, a couple of months ago. So almost about two years, I, I went to Gettysburg 19 times in those two years. I got to meet a lot of really great people and, and, uh, really understand the battlefield. And that, that's another feature of the app, too, is that the battlefield is so large and it's just basically grass fields. There's some hills with rocks and there's some trees and forests, but, but basically the battle took place in big, long, wide fields. 
And so uh, one of the challenges that I had when the first time I went there was I, I rode the tour bus and they took me around, I had a great tour guide and he explained all the things about the battle, but you're standing there at say at the Virginia monument, looking toward uh, uh, the bloody angle, which was a mile and a half away. And he says, imagine 12,000 people marching across this field with cannon fire coming at them. And you're looking going, I can't, I can't even really imagine that, but, but we put those people in the field and now, oh my God, now I can see the challenge that they had because when you're standing at the battlefield, you can't even really see where the battle happened. The people who were standing where Pickett's charge started, didn't see the battle happen. It was too far away. All they saw was smoke. And, uh, and so the, the challenge for, for a visitor today is to stand on that battlefield and try to imagine that. And, and then also there's landmarks and things all around and you don't know where the commanders were. And so how we solved that was we built the battlefield exactly the way it was in 1863 in, in 3D and, and, and put it into a game engine. So the leaves move, it's photorealistic, but as, and you can spin around in a 360 and there's flags placed around the battlefield and markers that tell you where Little Round Top is, where Culp's Hill is, where the Cemetery Ridge, all those types of things that you wouldn't be able to see. And even when the tour guide points him out, he's just pointing out to a thing that's a mile and a half away. And your perspective on where his finger is changes dramatically where you think that thing is. But we put it exactly where it is so that you, when you're looking through your, your mobile device, you can see where all these landmarks were. And when you see a flag, a Confederate flag or a Union flag, and you tap it, it pops up who's the commander there? How many troops did he have? Where did they come from? How did they get there? What happened to him? And then, in addition to that, you can watch the thing happen in photorealism as these soldiers march across the field and you can watch the battle happen. Usually, a lot of times, we will fly the camera way up high so we can see the perspective as, as you see them going out across the field. And then other times, we put you right down in the middle of the battle. But to keep people from getting PTSD, we made those scenes extreme slow motion. So they're like beautiful paintings of the battle but they're moving. You can see the soldiers slowly lunging forward or the flag waving in the air right, right above you in this 360 scene that you can spin around and you're hearing the narration. You're hearing Scott Eastman telling the story of what's happening as you're standing in the middle of what's happening. It's incredibly powerful experience. Working with Scott and we're going to have him on uh, another time. It's mm -hmm. gotta be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's great. And uh, he, you know, he's been in a bunch of military movies, and so he really has respect for military and respect for the sacrifice that happens in the military. You know, uh, his his latest movie is The Outpost, and and uh, I, I was real familiar with that story, having read several books about that particular fight. And uh, he portrayed one of the uh, soldiers who uh, got a Medal of Honor. They got two two soldiers in that battle got a Medal of Honor and survived, <clears throat> and he plays one of them, uh, but his understanding of, of what that's, what that sacrifice is, I think from having been on the set and seeing what, what it takes just to be a soldier, even if you're just in a movie, uh, really heightened his understanding of, of the sacrifice that was happening in Gettysburg on a much grander scale than, than any battles in Afghanistan. You know, when you're having, uh, the, the, in the first hour, of Gettysburg, over 1,200 people were killed. Boom, first hour. You know, just amazing. And who do you hope 
uh, plays this app and watches. Yeah. Well, the the primary audience I think is going to be schools uh, and, and school children. Every every kid in in the United States has to study the Civil War, and if they study the Civil War, they're going to study Gettysburg. If they study Gettysburg, they're going to study the Gettysburg Address. And and, uh, and one of the things that we did too is we put Lincoln. We took a, a archival photographs of Lincoln and animated those photographs and stood him where he gave the speech, near where he gave the speech for uh, uh, the. The Gettysburg Address, and you can watch him give the speech in that cemetery. And if you're, and the other thing about this app is that if you're at Gettysburg, you can see these things at those locations. But if you're not at Gettysburg, you can still see them. We have a map that you can follow as an interface, and you can tap on the different locations and see them happen there. But but schools, I think, is a is a huge audience for this because it it, it really does help students understand the Civil War and the, the importance of the sacrifice that happened in the civil war and, and what that means still today. Um, one, and then the other uh, audience is the people who go to Gettysburg. And now we've sold the app in, in a lot in China and Europe. So people are, are, are watching this thing like in China. And it's just amazing to think that they're watching uh, you know, this, the American Civil War in China is a very, very cool thing. But um, like I said, the, the primary audience is probably going to be schools. But but once Gettysburg gets up and Gettysburg keeps getting shut down with COVID and all that. But once it gets back up, there's a there's a significant number of people go to Gettysburg every year, like one point seven million or something like that to go through the museum. And we hope to attract a certain number of them. So they'll help promote that the museum. Well, we're working with them to do that. The, the COVID thing has... Uh, yeah, but when, when, it, when it happens again, <laughs> when it comes back yeah. again. <laughs> yeah. So uh, <clears throat> at any rate, that that's... It, it's kind of interesting, you know, to launch into the, the worst uh, pandemic we've had in 100 years. But <laughs> we, we, this is a long-term project and it's a long-term... It, it doesn't... The, the subject matter doesn't go away. So so we're, we're looking forward to the long-term on this. It seems like, yeah, looking forward to that long-term uh, process for sure. And COVID-19, 2020, wow, for you, <laughs> for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. the good the good news is an app, right? It's not something that yeah, physically, it's an app. yeah, physically. Yeah, it's an app. Yeah, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, and you can get it at uh, uh, the uh, Apple Store or Play Store. It's both Android or, or Apple. And, uh, um, and it, sometimes it helps to search under Quantumera in the app store or, or play store as you find it quicker than Gettysburg because Gettysburg has so many, there's a bunch of different apps that have been created over time about Gettysburg of various different levels. And those various diff different levels for sure. Um, in the, in the process of getting involved in schools, once schools get back to school, it's going to be a great opportunity to present this right to people go to presentations and talks and things like that. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and right now kids, families are buying it because their kids can't go to school. And, uh, and this gives them a meaningful experience where they can play with the app. Uh, and, and I put quotation marks around play because the kids think they're playing, but they're learning at the same time. And so they're on this learning adventure and some of the things that we have in the app are, are that you can find artifacts at the different locations. And those artifacts relate to exactly what happened at that location. And those artifacts are 3D models of the objects that are actually in the museum, the exact object. 
And so the kids can go collect those. And when they collect them, they get uh, Civil War coins that, that raise them in rank from private all the way up to major general. And what we're finding is that the kids will play with it and they'll say, get a telescope. And so they, they go and they get uh, uh, paper towel uh, tubes and they make themselves a telescope. And so they're, they're like spanning the virtual and the, and, the, and the analog world at the same time. And, and that, that's really cool to, to see the feedback from that, where the, where the kids are, are running around the house being a general <clears throat> with a sword they made out of cardboard. And, uh, uh, and, and, and they have the object that, that they've captured on their phone or on their tablet. That's awesome. I mean, it's just uh, what people definitely need. And then you're hoping also that people are going to finally ask about history more through this app, right? They're going to enjoy exactly. it and see it and, and then want to ask questions and really understand our history. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things that I always say about it is it's kind of the entry level for history where, where it gives people an entry point where now they can say, oh, this wasn't just dates and names of people i don't know who they are this was people like me and we one of the things that we've done is we have these seven avatars inside the application and and they're they're archival photographs that we found inside the museum that we we animated them and made them come to life and they tell you their story throughout the app as you go through the app and so uh, like i said before a lot of times history is told through the generals but it's the little people that made it happen. The generals said, this is what we're going to do. But the little guys went out and they put their face against the fire and they're the ones that made it happen. And so we want to tell their stories as well. And, and so uh, in, in terms of for kids and for people wanting to learn more about history, once they experience that, now they get really curious and they go, well, I, you know, I need to know more about what happened with this because our, our app is in no way a compendium of history of Gettysburg. It's a really good history of Gettysburg, but it's it's just a, a, a drop in the bucket compared to all the books that you can read and the depth that you can go into. But this will spur people to go look for that stuff and read that and be interested in it. And then they can visualize way easier what they're reading in the books. I know that I, I read several books before I went to Gettysburg. One of them was this incredibly thick book and and nobody drew a sword for like 180 pages it was you know just all this stuff about all the politics and all that sort of stuff of the, the internal politics of the of the armies and uh and then sitting there reading it and you're trying to keep up with this general that and you can't even remember was that guy confederate or union but with us you'll be able to visualize that and you'll know who Buford was and you'll know who Pettigrew was and you'll see, you will watch what happened to those guys and really, really does uh, bring it uh, strongly to life where, where you're, you're feeling like there are people that you know versus just people you heard about. Oh, that's awesome. Where is the best place we can connect with you? Learn about the app, how to download it, all those different things. Where can we go? Uh, you can go to quantumera.com. Uh, it's quantum era.com and we have uh, stuff about the app there and then we're also uh, getting a, a new referral program going where we have people in Gettysburg uh, and, and around elsewhere who can refer you to the uh, uh, to the app and they'll give you a coupon that has a, a referral code on it 
and, uh, uh, and and they'll tell you about the app as well. And so the bus companies, some of the museums around Gettysburg, that that sort of stuff, they'll have those too, so they can help you to to get the app. Well, <clears throat> Michael, thanks for stopping by. Look forward to our television interview when we're going to be able to have Scott on. And that'll be a great story back and forth of how the filming and all the different things and Scott's take on uh, history, especially Gettysburg. So thanks for calling. That'd be awesome. All right. Take care. Thanks. Okay. Thanks so right. much. You're welcome. Bye. Bye-bye. You'll listen to Neil Haley's show and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone. And welcome to the Neil Haley show simulcasted with freedom from addiction. An exciting time. We're going to try this. We've been doing segments together, but I've just really enjoyed uh, working with uh, Reverend Wynn Henderson that we thought, let's let's do the co-hosting thing. And it's going to be a lot of fun simulcasting. So I'm excited to welcome the program, Reverend Wynn Henderson. Wynn, how are you? And we have some amazing guests today for both your the podcast and also my radio program. Well, Neil, I hope it's going to be fun, more fun than the coronavirus. Oh, yes. <laughs> So go ahead and introduce our guests. Okay, so you want me to um, start in now and yeah, go with it. Okay, okay. Well, today I have Dr. Alan Lyka and Harriet Tinka on the show, and their book that we're going to be discussing is called "The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life: Two Survivors Reveal." 13 golden pearls they've discovered. Um, Let me do the introduction. Dr. Alan Laika and Harriet Tinka share harrowing and traumatic escapes from death. His from a misdiagnosis of what he was told was a terminal illness, that's ALS, and she from a nearly fatal kidnapping and beating by a stalker. Dr. Laika is best known as one of the leading cosmetic dermatologists in the world. He is also a transformational speaker, thought leader, coach, and mentor. Aria is a gorgeous former runway and magazine model who found new life as a transformational speaker, passionate life coach, and blogger. So they have teamed up to put the wisdom that they've gleaned since their trauma into a powerful new book, which I told you was The Secrets of Living a Fantastic Life. And they're on the show today, and Neil's also producing it for his show. So Harriet and Alan, it's nice to have you on my show today. Well, thank you for having us. We are honored to be here. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Wynn, for having us. It really is a privilege to be on your shows. Well, you know, this uh, Zoom thing, uh, doing this three-way, and then simulcasting to two different uh, markets at the same time has been a real challenge since Zoom hasn't been working too well this morning. But now that we've got everything working, we can get into talking about um, you guys and what you're doing and everything. Well, you notice Zoom is a four-letter word as well. Yeah, I know. I've been saying it. <laughs> uh, okay. Which one of you wants to start? We got a lot of uh, 
of material here. Um, why don't you all want to make an opening comment? Well, why don't I start with me, uh, then I'll let Harriet in. Uh, in our books, really, about it's not what happens to you, it's what you do with what happens. And both uh, Harriet and I really represent that comment. Both of us have come through very traumatic events in our lives. It's because of those events we're actually better rather than worse. And I think we could look at any glass as being half empty or half full. Uh, we could look around and if we're given lemons, we could say yuck, or we could say, let's make some lemonade. And I think in this day and age, it would be better for all of us to think about that glass being really half full. We have to be thinking about how better we are and how good we are. And I'd like to start the day with an attitude of gratitude. I'd like to think that I'm in a good place right now. I'd like to think that the world is still functioning. I'd like to think that the world is okay and, and we can do okay because of it. And I think it's important that, that because of that, we can do a lot and move forward, not backwards. And, and that's what I'd like everybody to think about today. Be grateful and move forward. So when you're saying that's what you'd like to think, are you being a realist? I think I'm very realistic. You know, every dark day has a, has a cloud, and that cloud always has a silver lining if you look for it. I, I think in this day and age, there's a lot of silver clouds that are coming out, and we just need to grasp them. And that's what Harriet and I realized when we were in our darkest days, in our days when we were almost dead, in our days when we were near destruction. You know, a person can be destroyed, but they cannot be defeated. And it's the defeatist attitude that I want uh, people not to be defeated. I want people to move forward, not back. Well, I agree with you totally. What's your thoughts, Harriet? Oh, I absolutely agree with that. An attitude of gratitude is uh, definitely the way to go. And also having an attitude of kindness, because kindness, if we make kindness go viral, we're all going to be in a much better state of mind. And that's all, all it's all about, having that growth mindset. And I think that's very important. And we've identified that growth mindset using the 13 golden pearls that we have identified in our new book that we just launched, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life. Okay, so you use the metaphor, a golden pearl. Uh, most of the people that's listening does not know the implication of what a golden pearl is. Would one of you like to explain that? Sure, I think I will win. Uh, you know, golden pearls actually exist. They actually exist in the South Pacific and Indonesian areas of the world. And they're extremely rare. A single solitary pearl can cost upwards of $10,000. They're so exquisite and so beautiful. Now, what forms a golden pearl is really unique. A golden pearl really comes about because a little grain of sand gets inside of a shell and inside of an oyster shell. And that sand really irritates that oyster and the oyster walls it off. It makes this beautiful, tantalizing, mesmerizing pearl because of the result of the trauma that came about. And that's really what happened in, in Harriet's and my lives in our lives, we, we really formed these exquisite pearls or rather discovered these exquisite pearls because of the trauma that we went through. 
So in medicine, uh, we've got uh, a saying, which I can't remember it right now, but it's, it's a tip or something substantial that you put into something that you're discussing. And that to me would seem like, would translate to a golden pearl in your experience. Yes, I think so. And the reason why we used a golden pearl is it's such a beautiful, wonderful metaphor. It really is something that truly is, is what people can really see and understand. On our cover, there's all these golden pearls. And throughout this book, it's sprinkled with golden pearls. And those golden pearls are something that is inside of every one of us. And all we have to do is reach inside and find them and bring them to the forefront. Well, one of my hobbies is making expensive jewelry. So if you'll send me a golden pearl, I'll make you a ringer. <laughs> and I think that, do you think the adversity, Alan and Harriet, what you've gone through is something that can speak to anyone in certain ways that, that how they can basically continue to move forward in life? Sure, I think so. And Harriet, why don't you go on that? And then maybe we can go into our stories a little bit. Oh, absolutely. I think uh, pain is a teacher that really teaches us to appreciate happiness. And uh, the golden pearl basically does symbolize that because it goes through trauma and then it comes out as a beautiful golden pearl. So the same thing for both me and Dr. Leica. We went through a lot of trauma and then we came up on top. So for myself, my story really, and I'll just uh, make it, uh, I would just shorten it up because it's quite a, a, a very long story. So for me, even today, it's still surreal for me to believe that I'm, I'm a victim of a domestic violence. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I mean, I'm a survivor of a domestic violence. So my story really begins with when I was, I had just retired from being an international model. I was full of confidence, yet I was a victim of a stalker. I retired from that industry and I decided to go back to school and get a formal education. So it was at the university that I befriended a fellow student having absolutely no idea that his attraction to me was a psychological trap disguised as love that would later turn deadly. And I was a typical victim of domestic violence. I was young, naive, and I had no clues of the signs and patterns of an abusive relationship, but yet I was vulnerable enough to trust him. So I got to, as I got to know him, he was very, very abusive to me. He would yell, he would scream, and then hit me. But then he would apologize later on. So I thought, oh, he apologized. Things are good. And this went on and on and on. And it, it became a, a pattern. So it became, it got worse to the point that I was afraid for my life. So I decided to go to the police. And they recommended that, they, they said, Nothing, there's nothing they can do because nothing has happened. The only thing that I can do is get a restraining order. And a restraining order is basically a document that stops the stalker from coming near you. So I said, okay, if that's all I can do, then let's do it. So I got the restraining order and I was quite content because I knew now nothing's going to happen. So one evening I was busy studying for my exams and uh, actually doing a project and I looked at the time and it was quite late. So I decided to quickly put my things in my bag and go back to my apartment. So I did that as I was walking to my apartment, I got into the elevator 
not really paying attention on my whereabouts. So I looked at my bag and behind me, I felt somebody squishing my neck really, really tight and a voice very familiar. It was him. And he said, how dare you get that restraining order against me? Don't you know that I'm the only man that will ever love you? I have unconditional love for you. And when he said that, I was screaming and yelling and he got quite frightened. I guess he was nervous that I was screaming. He didn't want anybody to really hear me. So he took off his shoes and took off his socks and stuffed his socks into my mouth. And then we drove off to an isolated area. So when we were driving, he kept yelling and screaming and we ran into a telephone booth. So when he saw the telephone booth, he told me to get out of the vehicle and go call the police and sorry, go call my parents and say goodbye to them because this would be the last time that I would ever hear from them. So when he, when he said that, I said, no. And then he said, okay, Harriet, I'm going to repeat my question. I need you to get out of the car and go call your parents and say goodbye to them. Because in the back of my car, I have a rope, a knife and gasoline. I am going to wrap your body up with a rope, cut your body in pieces and put gasoline all over you. Now, are you going to call your parents? At that point, I looked at him and I said, no. So the second no was absolutely upsetting to him. So he reached over the glove compartment, he took a knife and he stabbed me two times and there was blood gushing everywhere. And even today, I have absolutely no idea how I got from that point where I was to the hospital. So when I woke up, there was the doctor and my father and the police and media was in the waiting room. So the doctor so, told my father that I'd likely never walk again because the damage on my leg was, was very, it was awful, as well as I'd lost a lot of blood. And if I do walk, it might take a long, long time. So when I heard the doctor say that, I was absolutely shocked. Here I was an international model walking in the runway, full of confidence. And now I was a cripple and depressed. So the only thing that separated my confidence and depression was my trauma. I started to feel sorry for myself, say, why me? Why me? I am a wonderful person. How could this happen? So I decided that internal dialogue was doing me no good. I decided to start healing. So it was during my physiotherapy in the waiting room when a little girl on a wheelchair came, came in full of energy, full of life, and looked at me and asked me why I was there. And she got me at the point where I really didn't want to talk to anybody. And I eventually, she was very tenacious. So I, I said, okay, I, I gave, I shared my story in a version that a nine-year-old would be able to relate to. And when she heard my story, she said, wow, you should really share your story with the world. And I didn't really understand why a nine-year-old had such wisdom. So when I got to know her, she told me that in her family, they shared stories and they always said stories are impactful, stories stick. So at, the point, at that point, I didn't really, I wanted to know what exactly she was all about and why she was in a wheelchair. So she, 